Alone in the dark. Ooh, released January 28th, 2005. A very spooky year. <laughs> the spookiest of years. Uh, I'm Dylan Vento. I'm Nick Nundall. And this is a track I didn't catch that this was going to be our Halloween special. <laughs> this is it. We watched. We watched a horror. We. I think it was a horror movie. We watched a horror movie. Yeah. It. It purported to be a horror movie. It. <laughs> it. You know what? This experience was horrific. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> yes. It qualifies. Yep. 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 Um, everyone gets scared in their own way, Nick. Mm-hmm. Alone in the dark. Another. Our second Uwe Boll film. Nick, how are yeah. we feeling? I don't understand. I mean, I said it, I think, 15 times while we were watching it. How does a career survive this? How do you go from House of the Dead, which like a bad budget crap movie, whatever, uh, to this, and then still make a third movie after that? Like, I don't understand. Not even a third movie, but a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. A whole career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. like M- Many more it's so painful this particular movie and like it's so weird to imagine that i could watch house of the dead and be like nostalgic for that (laughs) immediately after by watching this let me let me go ahead and drawn out and boring and and read this uh this quote here i believe i pulled this from wikipedia holding a one percent approval rating on rotten Mm -hmm. tomatoes Alone in the Dark is considered one of the worst films ever made. I I I saw that um I think maybe you sent me that before we watched it and I I was like, well, okay. That rating has got to be like a super review bomb rating, right? Like there's no way something gets a 1% without people sort of gearing it towards 1%. Like it like there had to be a, a directive of the internet sure. community. No, this earned a one percent. <laughs> this was a one percent movie. This is Holy this is one shit. of the one percenters. This is <laughs> alone. The <laughs> yeah. darkest part of the bourgeoisie. Yeah, and we we should eat the rich and burn this movie. <laughs> it's uh, it's bad. If we haven't made that clear, but it's it's bad in a special way where like most bad movies you see, like. You know, I remember I remember going to theater in high school. I remember going and seeing X-Men The Last Stand, right? The third mm-hmm. X-Men movie. And that's a bad movie, right? Like yeah. it's it is it, it lacks a lot of the charisma and character of the first two. It's just and an overstuffed the, action movie, right? Like yeah, that's what made it, it just, bad to me. Yeah. This so in that way, that movie that movie is bad, but it 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 still has the earmarks of a traditional plot Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this movie 
is a like tornado let loose on a small midwest city it's just rocking this way and way it's tearing through you know people's homes without a care in the world it you know it's a force of nature it has no rhyme or reason it cares not for your loved ones it is going to do the damage it will do and then be gone nobody set this film up with a vision of what they needed to tell it just meanders at so many different points. And then occasionally we'll drop a line in that is a plot forwarding line. But if you miss it, right, if you just, if you miss one line, then you'll spend 45 minutes going, I don't know what's happening right now because they will not come back to that. They're just going to meander on these other meaningless scenes and characters and, you know, visuals that are, they look like they're made for TV of the same era. Um, I, I was, I was hearkening back to like, like Highlander TV show quality, which I love that show actually in a weird way. Um, but like that, that low budget feel of, of late nineties, maybe early two thousands action TV. It was on the quality level of that. So there's nothing too particularly pretty to look at. Um, but it, it just kind of hung out with every scene. Like if you were in all of those 30 minute shows for two hours instead. <laughs> yeah. It just it just kept kept going, kept going, yeah. And it's like he clearly Uwe Boll clearly had uh, a higher budget for this movie because there's a lot of special effects, um, uh, yeah, s- computer graphics specifically. Like there's some practical effects too. Which, yeah, I, the practical effects. I, I actually was surprised by how good they were in this movie for how literally everything else is phoned in the script writing, the acting. Yeah, the, the practical effects were surprisingly good. Somebody was like, "I care about my job." Um, and even the computer effects probably for the budget, I would think were really, I don't know what that budget was. I haven't looked into those numbers, but like they feel pretty good for what is a very low budget movie or they really did sink all of the budget into them. Um, and they're not good. I don't want (laughs) to mislead with that. They're, they're not quality by today's standards at all, of course, but even by concurrent standards when it came out, they wouldn't have been that great, but they were better than I expected. Mm-hmm. which is something well yeah and definitely better than the the 360 panoramic shots we were getting in <laughs> although the first the first uh the first uve bowl movie we have a couple of those uve bowl prestige shots in this as well <laughs> yeah and there's, he's there, really there's working a lot hard of to set his style apart yeah um so how do we it, begin how do we well we begin the way the movie begins right which is a <laughs> what feels like a text crawl that lasts an eternity um with some so uh, you familiar with alone in the dark at all as a game franchise i i I know i have played a couple of alone in the dark titles like enough to you know you know sit down and mess with them but never to like complete a game or anything like that but what i know about them is the title is very descriptive you are for most of the gameplay alone in the dark, right? You oh, are wow. like okay. a character who is exploring a, a, an old house in the first one or some other locations in the others. But the point is you are, you are mostly on your own. You'll have a couple of like kind of resident evil style conversations with, you know, passing characters, but then you depart from them and go back to being on your own. And you're dealing with the supernatural, like a lot of ghosty type things in the shadows. Um, it is not, <laughs> 
a like downtown LA or wherever this was downtown Vancouver. I don't, I don't yeah, know where they nondescript it. city. Yeah. Um, like big action movie with a hundred characters. I can tell you that for sure. But this movie was not concerned with trying to replicate that lonely, isolated feeling that the games give you. This was a lot of people together in the dark most of the movie and sometimes yes. together in the light yes. <laughs> they were they were not even bothering with the dark for a good chunk of it and it seems like obviously in this and this is only the second of many uve bowl movies i've ever seen um th- this podcast is my first I- exposure to to his uh you're, 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 yeah uh, and so i feel like he's like he kind of has an obsession with like quasi-military like you know Mm -hmm. a gang of survivors doing actiony stuff even though if the trappings of the video game do not call for that at all yeah he just thinks he needs to insert military in uh maybe because it i mean i'm pretty sure his entire career is based on what gets him the most money at the end of a project right so it's like film in places where you get tax cuts and borrow as much money as you can and put whatever product placement in you have to if you can get it. I don't think these early movies really had it, but later ones, I think. Oh, they got a um, Volkswagen Beetle. So th- There was that shot, yeah. Um, but I wonder if there is any kind of like, you know, if you use military vehicles in a U.S. film, you get that. I wonder if some of that, because there's a lot of military vehicles at the end of this movie. Um and I wonder if they were all paid for by by a military somewhere, the U.S. military or somewhere else. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. He just went to a military surplus store, got himself a couple Humvees. He filmed in the parking Cup- lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just want to take this out and just drive it around a couple of times. Okay, quick, quick. Put the, put, get the lights up. Put the camera up. Um, um, it's, yeah, it, it's so strange to make a, a slow burn very lovecraftian horror series become what if there was lots and lots of tracer fire gun bullets fly, you know flying everywhere and monsters at every yeah. turn so so it's hard to tell how much of outside of even that how much of the uh uh kind of setup narrative setup is woven from whole cloth yeah i'm not sure because I, I don't have that much info on the games Right. So this opening text crawl, going back to what I was originally talking about. So this opening text crawl just like does a lore dump about like this ancient civilization called the Abnaki. Abkani, I believe. A B K. Is it A B B B uh it says Abnaki in the, the, the Wikipedia page, but it might have it wrong there. <laughs> so uh but talking about like they they like were able to harness like creatures of the night and there were there, there were two different worlds there was the world <laughs> of of man and the world of monsters we then a meteor crashed right into <laughs> yeah. the planet and knocked manhattan yeah. back to the stone age <laughs> it's, ain't this great um, it's, it is it is so much like reminiscent i mean it doesn't last unfortunately that comparison but just that opening text voiceover with the narrator immediately made us both think, and you called it out of the moment of that Mario movie opening where yeah. <laughs> it's just man is in, you know, one world and there is a parallel dimension waiting to merge with it. Um, that they don't really 
utilize no, much. No, they don't make clear. It, it, so much of this movie is vague, but what you basically need to know is that there is an ancient civilization. Uh, there are creatures of some sorts, basically the uh, supernatural entities, and then there's us. And then at some point, this ancient civilization just disappeared, was just like wiped off the map. Specifically, they opened the doorway to this other world. And then when they realize, like, oh, shit, it's a bad thing there, they close the doorway. And in doing so, uh, it wiped out their civilization. But um, something made it through is the idea. So you kind of expect from that early take on the movie, from that intro, that it's going to be like, oh, there's like one of these creatures or maybe like a master creature that is spawning other creatures or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But they, they even kind of set that up later in the movie and then at some point it's just like nah actually there's like dozens yeah, of them there's just, hundreds they, they it doesn't matter it. um <laughs> yeah. so, so you have this very uh kind of overwrought voice actor at the beginning uh they also talk about like this clandestine um mm-hmm. american government, government organization bureau 713 that apparently like hunts and prevents these kind of supernatural incidents um then we get a flashback to like an orphanage where this man is making it very clear that he is the villain and he is experimenting <laughs> yeah. on children. And he's like, we need to ship these kids out to the facility or whatever. Uh, he's basically talking to this nun and telling the nun, all right, this is when you're going to call the police when the kids disappear. Wink. Yeah. By which I mean, when we take them away from here. Yeah. After I've gotten far enough away with the kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Call the cops. Uh, and the, the, the nun is kind of like, Oh, I don't know. I don't feel great about this though. She does it anyways. Yeah. He convinces her. It is for the greater needs of civilization, but we never at any point in this movie, are given a motivation for why this guy thinks opening a gateway to ostensibly hell. I mean, not they never call it hell, but ostensibly hell. Why yeah. that will be better for people. <laughs> it's just like he just knows about this place and he wants to see it. That's basically uh, all Uwe, we get about him. Uwe Boll at one point heard about the archetypical like mad scientist, like mm-hmm. going pushing too far in, to better the world. But yeah. he didn't really know how that works as a as right. a story conceit. So he just kind of like, but you know, you know, dusted, did a little light dusting of that idea, <laughs> and then like went on. He's like, yeah. "We got to shoot the guns. Like, we, we got, got that to shoot check." But so it doesn't really make a lot. Of, I said check. Move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What else do you need? How do yeah. I get this? How do I get you out of my face? Right. Um. So they're talking about they have these twenty kids that they're going to ship off, but one of them, one of them went missing. And he's fucking hiding in the Universal Studios back lot where they kept all the <laughs> Bride of Frankenstein props because he's like sitting behind like these Tesla coils and shit in like an electrical shed. Um, That's where we had that great shot of zooming in on his <laughs> eye. Yes. And in the reflection in his iris, you see uh, these like dog monster creatures um, kind of like, you know, creeping up on him and then snap to present day it's christian slater on a plane slater on a plane my favorite movie slater on a plane catch you slater uh yeah so he's on a plane <laughs> in the modern day uh where a, a child is sitting next to him that he is assumedly not affiliated with and yeah. the kid starts talking <laughs> to him we're not together <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
kid starts talking to him about like a scary coloring book and how monsters aren't real and you don't have to be afraid of the dark and yeah. fucking Christian well, Slater looking. He, he also <laughs> says my favorite line of the whole movie where he says, did you have a nightmare? Did you eat cheese? Yeah. My, yeah. my mommy says cheese gives you nightmares. Proving that Uwe Boll definitely understands human interactions. <laughs> That's anytime you're talking to a kid, they're going to bring up some random nonsense. He's got that part right, I guess. Um, so, Again, check. Moving yeah, on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this kid hands him this coloring book and is like, I, you know, it's okay that it's got monsters because monsters aren't real. My mommy said so. And Christian Slater is this like, he's wearing like a long duster jacket and like a, I don't know, like a wife beater shirt underneath or something. And it's just looking like a rough, you know, kind of guy or is intended to look like a rough guy. And he's like, your mommy's wrong, kid. Monsters are fucking real. And the dark is the most terrifying thing around. The only reason I'm alive is because I'm afraid of the dark and you should be too. And it, I don't know how aware Uwe Boll is when he sets up a scene like that. Like that guy does not come off cool. That guy does not come off like really battle hardened. He comes off as an asshole who's messing with a kid. He just traumatized a child. And is he, is that what he wants though? Is is that like what Uwe wants his character to be as kind of an asshole? I don't know. But that child actor really gave it his all because he just kind (laughs) of like looks off with like his mouth agape with his eyes wide after like his whole idea of of safety has been shattered by the stranger on a plane. Um, but let's let's go broader strokes than scene by scene from here. Yeah, let's let's uh, sort of open it up. So what we don't know what Christian Slater is doing when he gets off this plane, but he gets into a taxi. He's he's talking to the taxi driver um, who's like a real stoner guy about what he does for a living, which is that he's a paranormal investigator. So I guess knowing about monsters is why he became one, even though I, he, I guess it's in this universe it's not an embarrassment to bring that up as your profession <laughs> yeah yeah um and then all of a sudden the taxi gets uh attacked and he enters this very prolonged chase scene fight with i guess a superhuman monster man um mm-hmm. who is just like a big bald dude who roars a lot and chases after yeah. him on foot um christian slater shoots him a couple times and the guy roars and shrugs it off until the final shot (laughs) this guy also has um uh this guy also has the ability to adjust his own frame rate yes because for i think the first three-fourths of the the fight between him and christian slater he's constantly getting knocked down and stands back up and he's like walking at like half speed (laughs) yeah very slow-mo low frame rate yeah, and then he speeds up. <laughs> like he, he runs up on him, and he, they like crank up the frame rate. He's like, beep, 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 beep. yeah. And it's clear; it's so clear based on House of the Dead and this that Uwe Boll saw the Matrix and was like, "That's the coolest thing in the world. I must make my movies do that." But had no technical ability to do so, um, whether by you know physical hardware limitations available to him or whether by skill, I don't know. But either way, he couldn't do it. So he thought, good enough, I'll just speed it up and slow it down a lot at random in the middle of the scene. And he, he's like only doing it to the monster guy who otherwise doesn't look like a monster, right? He just looks like a big bald dude. <laughs> he looks like Walter White. Just yeah. fucking. <laughs> but we're supposed to know he's a monster, I think, by the frame rate changes. 
um because he can like get up and leap and and that's the other thing is he's on like some wires at one point where he's like (laughs) jumping from car rooftop to car rooftop and you can see like his whole shirt lifting up where the wire is pulling from underneath his clothing um every time they like yank him up for, for a run uh but yeah it it's so Christian Slater kills this monster man and then doesn't stick around to find out anything else about it. He's just like, well, that was fucking weird. I'm out yep. of here. My job is and, done. And most of this movie kind of proceeds in this way where it's like a scene happens and then all of a sudden we're in another scene. We just we don't find out what that scene meant or why it happened exactly. We're just somewhere else. Um, but that's about ish. I'm not necessarily going moment to moment, but about ish when we catch up with Tara Reed right mm-hmm. yes um so tara reed is in this movie playing a b- research assistant in a museum going over some ancient artifacts concerning yeah. this this they're, ancient specifically they're doing like an abkhani exhibit at her museum and a new crate has come in and it wasn't on like the manifests of what they were supposed to get so we get the best actor in the whole movie which is this security <laughs> guard who is so clearly just as a human being, I felt I when when you're in the middle of the ocean of despair, you look for any life raft <laughs> yeah. you can cling to. Yeah. And this guy was so pleased to be in a movie, so happy yeah. to get the chance to act and know that he was going to be on big screens. And it comes through so well in his enthusiasm talking to Tara Reed where he's like the Abkhani, that's an ancient civilization that disappeared a hundred years ago, a hundred thousand years ago or whatever. Like, you know, I'm uh, um, details, whatever on that, but he was so happy mm-hmm. to get to act against that. And then, um, <laughs> he, uh, he has a moment with the like delivery guy or whatever too, but he, he, he's just this, this, this shining beacon in this otherwise bland and awful film. Um, but he gives this box to Tara Reed and she decides to open it and start looking into it. And um, convoluted movie as it is, while she's doing that, we jump to another character who's on a boat, um, essentially being the the uh, <laughs> the role that was on the boat in the um, House, in of, the House of the movie, Dead movie, the, the, the Das Boot guy. Um, they are pulling a crate up out of the sea and uh man i'm gonna need your help figuring out what happens here they like lock him in a room right yeah so it's this this one kind of elderly guy um plus another dude who the other guy is also like clint Clint howard's character from house of the dead because he is also wearing like a yellow uh like weatherproof jacket that a sailor or like a a fisherman's coat and hat yeah um and so they dredge up this this crate the crate is gilded or no it's it's made out of solid gold apparently and Mm -hmm. there's like something in it that this this older the first guy wants the first older guy wants um and so the guy that helps him dredge it up as well as the ship they're they're all like like we should we should pry it open and they start like taking a crowbar to it and the 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 professorly dude is like no no no, don't do that don't do that and he's like you're not gonna tell me what to do if this thing is like built out of gold who knows what's in it like it could be immensely valuable and they don't want this professor dude to like it, it belongs in a museum or whatever he wants to do with it and so they take him and they throw him in a one of the ship's quarters like and lock the bulkhead behind him and so they all yeah. 
they they open up the the crates and um here's a little movie trick for you nick you know if something seems like it's going to be an expensive shoot right right shoot it from shoot it from the perspective of the guy that's locked in a bland uh metal room yeah and then that okay. really that really cuts down on the budget wow then you don't have to show anyone dying or anything happening yeah. at or all any monsters you don't have to worry about the cg budget for that scene or anything yeah uh which is basically what they do so he is just like in this room he takes like a little piece of rebar and like tries to stick it in the bulkhead handle to keep it like <laughs> keep the monster from getting at him but he's just hearing screams and gunfire and slashes and stuff uh and after a while he i have questions from this yeah hit me are we to believe that one of the dog creatures is in that crate i think that is the implication okay but we know uh-huh. for a fact based on the intro with christian slater kid's eyes that there those dog others. creatures were around 20 years ago sure. not in a crate right yeah and then later in like a very near scene to this we also get back at that guy's office and he's got one of the dog creatures in a cage so are they just kind of out there everywhere in the world and this is just another one i think so okay i guess that that tracks that works i guess yeah i guess it's just a generic one he just he's familiar with he's the not threat. controlled this one he's con- got control of others though yeah or at least some kind of symbiotic relationship with others yeah, yeah who knows um but he comes out the entire crew is slaughtered the corpse is everywhere and he reaches into the crate and there's basically a, a false panel in the bottom of it um mm-hmm. and he pops it open and there's some sort of artifact uh, we're gonna call this, it a doodad yeah okay yeah <laughs> an ancient doodad a gizmo yeah um which matches the gizmo that tara reed pulls out of her box uh back at the uh facility and so now we've got these two gizmos that that very clearly are meant to fit together but two characters have them and are uh planning to collide in fact for whatever weird reason i guess just to help set him up as the villain the guy who gets the gold crate doodad calls up Tara Reed and is like, you fucking bitch. How dare you open my box? <laughs> and she's like, that's my job. <laughs> no, that's, what I, my that's what I get paid for. Um, but he's he's like outraged and he's planning to come there to get it. And then Christian Slater shows up. Now, is Christian Slater her husband? Boyfriend. Um, okay. That's not that husband. was one of the line reads from the security guard where he's okay. like, I could, I, for some reason, I thought he said husband, but okay. Okay. Yeah. He mentions um, how her boyfriend has been missing for months and then she gotcha. storms off upset about it. He's like, oh God, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. What reason is there at any point in the movie for Christian Slater being gone for months that he has not contacted Tara Reed to be like, hey, I'm in wherever i'm in uh telecommunications like he was apparently in the amazon like if you're in the middle of the amazon rainforest why was cell coverage because <laughs> he was also getting a doodad because there's a oh, third doodad right that he has which is why the, the supernatural walter white was chasing him yes okay Dude. thank you this this brings things together a little bit more okay yeah the okay the, the quality at which if you can call it quality the the 
quality at which we are describing this movie and making the plot pretty clear is not at all how it's communicated in the movie. I want that to be yeah. as clear as possible that like we are we're basically looking at a giant pile of garbage and w- yeah. I was just like I left my keys at the bottom of this pile of garbage. We're just sifting we have to, through it. We're, we're, we're sifting pour, through the apart. garbage and we are like piecing it together. Uh my keys, this metaphor is falling apart. Um and yeah, so like if you're having a crystal clear picture of no, the, of no the plot is. right no now, no one is getting a crystal clear picture from us <laughs> rambling on about this. But movie. let's just say theoretically you are. That's yeah. our hard work. Student, that's not Uwe Ball at all. <laughs> um, in fact, the the opening, the, not opening, the the top trivia on Alone in the Dark IMDb page is. Uh, the, the length the opening text crawl was added after numerous test audience members said they were confused by the plot. So mm-hmm. we weren't alone in the dark. I don't think that I don't think that's it. <laughs> together at last in the dark. Yes. Um, anyhow, uh, Tara Reed has her piece. Christian Slater shows up at her museum and uh, has his piece. Um, other guy is on route. Tara Reed. Hmm. He gets decked by Tara Reed the second he, oh, yeah, <laughs> he yeah. the, walks the into the museum. Tara Reed gives in this film is truly incredible in the sense that I can't believe a professional actress <laughs> could ever give so little of a performance. Uh, she goes from like a very stiff hug to backing up and punching him and calling him an asshole or something. And uh, then the lights start to flicker like while they're they're having this reconciliation. Um, the lights go out and monsters start creeping around mm-hmm. and very quickly, uh, you know, this, I, I guess they want Christian Slater's character to be a kind of Indiana Jones action hero type. Um, he goes into uh, ready to fight mode um, and uh, they, the security guard gets, uh, the, oh man, just to talk a brief bit about how this movie is dragged out. I think it's a solid five minutes of on-screen time of the security guard (laughs) with the lights out looking for Tara Reid and Christian Slater because somehow he's lost them completely. And he's just walking through a dark museum, not with like, like the camera's just following, you know, or, or set up, you know, profile to him at different points, but there's no like deep angles to like make this thing like make it look like a looming dark scary situation there's no music that's like really setting you up for tension or anything like that it's just this guy walking around a museum shouting their names which i can't remember their names (laughs) so we'll just say tara reed christian slater (laughs) just yelling their names in the darkness and if you're a human with half a brain, like you know that like, this is leading up to a kill or some sort of jump well, scare you know, or I'll, something. As an audience member, yeah. But that's what I mean. Like, okay, you, not you the know... character, not the character in the no, movie. No, 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 yeah, no, no, yeah. Like, but you know, and but like because it's so drawn out, you're just like, please, just get to the part yeah. that you're not at all well building up to. Just do it already. Yeah. Like the point of this scene, the reason you put this scene in your movie is to raise the tension to its highest point and you know the the skilled director gets it to that highest point and then bam does the release right whatever it's the kill it's the jump scare it's the whatever you get the release this never raises the tension it just drags on and on and on and on and on and on until eventually a creature rises up behind him and you were like it's reptile for mortal Kombat," because it absolutely it's these these 
monster dogs, kind of reptilian alien looking dogs with mm-hmm. a scorpion tail that is like, um, I don't know. It's like uh, the fanned out spikes on the end of it. Yeah. And it, it can grapple with them. So it like wraps around the back of his head. And I got to say again, the, the CG is not the worst. It's not great, but like, what it did that somebody gave a shit like one person at least gave a shit because when the claw hits his head i've seen so many cg movies where they like just do a very shitty like either it doesn't look like it's interacting at all there's no shading there's no compression or whatever um or they do replace the head with some like really bad cg this looks like it's sinking into his skin like it looks like something is grabbing his head uh in this moment and there's little little things that make me go like, God, how sad must it be to have worked on this movie and then see the final product and know what well, you worked a, on? That's the thing of any, you know, artistic endeavor that's like requires a lot of people, right? It's mm-hmm. it's like there's always people that are like trying to make it good or like trying to yeah. give an effort. And it's just, you know, there's it usually boils down to leadership, right? That causes it or like, you know, external factors like money, budget, something like that. Um but I don't think the individual workers on the film are bad people for working on the film. Right. I, yes. I, I think that across the board for any of the films we watch, right? Yes, like people absolutely. are trying their hardest and they just have the deck stacked against them. And, it, mm-hmm. and in no uncertain terms, I'm sure everyone that like tried to make a quality product knew at the end of this project that it wasn't good. But like you have to put something yeah. out because you have been paid to do a job. And so you're going to do that job. And I don't think that's, and you're just a creative endeavors. person, which I, I think has to be driven behind the CG in this. Like they wanted to do something that felt like art to them, at least is what it feels like. And that the actor playing yeah. the security guard was so excited to act. He wanted to, you know, apply his trade. Um, but they kill the security guard and that's the last we see of my favorite character. <laughs> um, then Christian Slater shoots at it a bunch in the darkness. But uh, suddenly helicopters are over the top of the museum doors are getting kicked in and a hundred paramilitary uh paintball players (laughs) like in like paintball vests and visors run in and start shooting up the entire museum um so this is the the government agency that uh dylan mentioned earlier the bureau 713 yeah Yeah, something like that one seven seven one three (laughs) yeah um which we find out that Steven Dorf is the current like person in charge there. Um, he uh, has a, an antagonistic sort of relationship with Christian Slater, who used to be part of the Bureau, um, but uh, doesn't want Christian Slater. You know, he's like, you're out of the Bureau. You're not involved in this investigation. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Give me your badge and your gun, Christian Slater. Yeah, except he's you're already left, so he can't take those things yeah. because he doesn't have them. Instead, Christian Slater says... Give me your badge, <laughs> which he uh, he pretends to get into a fight. Well, I, I guess he does get into a little bit of a, a, a grapple with yeah. Stephen Dorf, and only for the purpose of lifting his his bureau badge, um, so that uh, when he leaves, he can go to the bureau and try to figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, Tara Reed, civilian in this museum that is uh-huh. actively infested with monsters and under the control of a government agency that is trying to hunt them and kill them she says i'm going to my office to get my things and steven dorf says 
I guess I can't stop you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd sound like I have like heavily armed trained personnel with me to restrain you yeah. in going to your office. It basically that's the exchange, right? It's just like, I'm going to my office. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah. Yes, you are. Um, and all of that is is a belabored way to set up that somehow under this entire compound being surrounded by people, the guy from the boat with his piece of the puzzle has uh snuck in and is in her office um trying to take over her you know the pieces of the puzzle that she started working on yeah um man so many of these scenes don't like i'm i'm thinking of them now in retrospect and i'm like what did that lead to what did that tie to there is a moment and i i think it just does nothing um he argues with Tara Reed the uh the guy from the boat um about like taking over the analysis of the puzzle pieces and she's like no i think i'll handle that and again even though he's a villain who wants to kill people has has experimented on children and this is like the culmination of his evil life's work he's just like fine (laughs) and like (laughs) leaves her alone goes back to his office where he has one of the dog creatures caged up these military guys are scouring the building are they not going to find his monster dog in a cage at some point? But that never comes up. He gets a, a long, like, grabber arm, like one of those things that you pick up, like, when you're too old to bend over <laughs> and you pick up stuff <laughs> off the floor with, and he's got a syringe attached to it. He sticks it in the dog, pulls out some purple blood, and then injects that in his arm. So I fully expected, and I guarantee you it was in the script at some point, a final conflict where he mutates into a monster. But I'm now realizing I even like you called it later at the end of the movie when that guy is in his final scene. And I was like, Oh, he'll come back in a second form. He never did. Yeah. He never came back. This entire massive sequence in the movie. If you were an editor, if you were a director with any vision, you would go, well, this led to nowhere. Let's cut this out. Cause it's just going to be confusing. And it's all in the movie. It's all there. They do have like the briefest of shots to justify his uh, injection where he like has actual telepathic control over the monsters. At the very least, the monsters don't attack him. Yeah. Um, but it's so brief that it also unspoken, which is hilarious in a movie that wants to explain everything to you that it mm-hmm. does not go out of its way to explain that aspect of it. Um. But yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of setup for very little payoff. But I do like the final confrontation we get with that old guy at the end yeah. of the movie. <laughs> well, we'll get there. Um, so we're we're at the government compound, snuck in. We, by the way, no exterior, no establishing shots, no like build up. It's just suddenly he's inside in their like yeah. morgue where they are currently um dissecting the body of the uh, did you you said walter white the, the big bald <laughs> yes, guy yeah, um, yeah. he was much bigger walter than white. walter white <laughs> yeah that's what i said i said like big supernatural walter white yeah jesse um we gotta we gotta get the doodad jesse and this was the first moment of practical effects that surprised me they've got his like spine opened yeah and it's good it's good like it made you cringe yeah i can't handle gore so believable the whole time it didn't look like a bad prop um but what they're doing is pulling out 
this creature that is attached to his spine that got severed in their fight. So he killed it and that's what made him drop. Uh, Christian Slater killed it um, with bullets. So <laughs> we know they're susceptible to bullets. Um, <laughs> but yeah, basically these creatures were implanted in these people when they were children in the orphanage. Uh, and in fact, there's a little like scanner Geiger counter thing that starts going off when Christian Slater gets near it and they do a 3d scan of him and find out he also has one of these things inside him, mm-hmm. but it's okay. It's dead. <laughs> he just has a dead little creature on his spine and it, he, that's why he's not affected. Um, and at some point in here before this scene, I think actually we got like a cut to an activation of all of these sleeper agent children who grew up with this thing on their spine becoming zombies they they activate right and that like also in, incapacitated christian slater but like didn't yeah like mind control him what activated that was it him messing with the doodad i think that's what did it i think you, it was someone you, was messing with their piece of the MacGuffin, and i think that awoke was it that or was it opening the gold box oh i think it was the box which yeah. is weird because what multiple, would that do? <laughs> well, well, also the 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 little parasite the spinal tap things are like kind of kind of yeah, <laughs> it kind of communicates as like something scientific, whereas the you know fucking knockoff Ark of the Covenant box is yeah. supernatural. And mm-hmm. so, how do these two things? bind together well, you see dylan any sufficiently advanced technology would okay be indistinguishable from magic. magic yeah 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 <laughs> so, i got you great great um okay i hate this timeline so, so, <laughs> so big next points are tara reed and christian slater get together to put together the puzzle box um they open the hellraiser portal and the cenobites step through <laughs> now um they put together the puzzle box which summons all of the zombies to Christian Slater's downtown LA warehouse apartment. <laughs> he, he lives inside a warehouse with just like a bed in the middle of it. And it's like, it's like an overly ostentatious bed that this character who seemingly doesn't give a fuck about anything. Would yeah. Never have. It's a very Spartan lifestyle has like this very, it looks like a fucking middle Eastern bazaar inside yeah, like of a his, Sultan's like, bed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, studio apartment. Uh, but yeah, they get attacked by all these. Uh, well, it, it's it's the it's not the zombies, right? It's the, it's the more of the dog monsters. Which the zombies a, do come in here as well, though, because even oh, Tara right. Reed but is it, but, shooting zombies. Yeah, but it starts with the with the one or two of the dog monsters. Um, yeah, and I would think we 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 uh, mentioned the dog monsters can also turn invisible <laughs> for some reason. Sort of, yeah. They, they have they that turn invisible maybe camouflage. when the budget doesn't want to animate them. <laughs> sure, yeah. But fortunately, Christian Slater has a device that can detect them. He got like a little PDA from the guy that did the autopsy at the bureau. He also um, got some magic bullets. He got some magic bullets. <laughs> They're the bullets uh, from Underworld that shoot UV light at vampires, but now they can shoot shadow dogs. Um I would like to point out that like the assumption is the entire military group also has these bullets because that's where he got them from. So from here on out, there's never a moment where they need the MacGuffin bullets. It's just assumed that everyone always has them. Yeah, yeah. And, they and got that upgrade always... in the tech tree in yes. the video game. Like they, they unlocked that. It's and unlocked so for now everyone. They can, just, 
yeah, they can just craft them uh, without any worries. So yeah, the one or two. It, I, I say one or two because it makes it very unclear how many mm-hmm. of these things fucking show up. Um, it yeah. might even be more than two. It might be a, d- a dozen. Um, but one, at least one, shows up at first. Christian Slater and Tara Reed uh, kind of run around the apartment, <laughs> like Benny Hill, like Yaki yeah. Sacks might as well be playing. Um, and they manage to gun it down, and then. You know, you want to talk about the fucking Uwe Boll style of of movie making, like Man, just as weird as it as it was in House of the Dead when like the screen would fucking flash with like a frames of the video game. And this, they've abandoned that, which great, awesome. Also, <laughs> no, you know, three sixty turns, but instead, the movie goes from them being in the the, the Sultan's palace bedroom. To well, they're all in the, the same lights. warehouse. They're just in like yeah. the stacks now. They're in the shelves right, behind the right, right, bed. right. Um, but like you don't see that before this point, so it yeah, looks like a completely right. different location. Right. Um, all the lights go out. Oh, because also the the scorpion dog monster zombies um, can affect lights. They can like yeah. electricity, and that's how you also you know they're coming. Um, and this like hardcore heavy metal starts playing very rob as, zombie it might have been yeah. rob zombie but if not it was a sound alike. something kind just like um and you just see all the lights go out and you just see like just little glimpses as you know the the muzzle flashes of guns are going off of like bullets yeah when did equilibrium come out <laughs> 2002 so Uwe Bull saw equilibrium which has that yeah. amazing sequence where the lights are fully pitch black and then the only light in the scene you get is the muzzle flashes and so you're seeing faces and people you know falling backwards and stuff like that and it's incredible right in that movie at that time it was amazing uh no one had done exactly that before and then in this it's instead like the tracer fire as it like moves through the room carries the light with it so you get a much you know much more visible shot and, and the tracer fire is like moving exceptionally slow for how bullets you know in real time move uh it would never work um but you're getting this insane long trace of light moving through uh heavy like like just pounding heavy metal music so much louder than anything else in the movie and um and and monster dogs and zombies all getting killed but you also get like in comes all of the government group people. They like break in during this exact, like when the music kicks in, they like smash in the windows and they're here too. And um, so there's bullets flying in every direction. It looks like with no aim, you know, no attention yeah. to where you're no, shooting at being <laughs> no given. care for friendly fire. Yeah. They're definitely shooting like across from each other. So at each other effectively. And there's one shot of a dude just unloading his gun at a pillar. <laughs> And it's just like, what is he doing? <laughs> and I mean, the bullets are hitting the pillar. He's not just like shooting beyond it and you can't see what he's shooting. It's literally yeah. him shooting the pillar. It is chipping um, off the concrete off this stone pillar. Yeah, which again, he, he saw the Matrix. He saw the bank, you know, lobby uh, scene. And uh-huh. he was like, yeah, oh, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Um, But, but so much CG. So much like really bad CG that yeah. gets masked. CG monsters. It's only lit by the muzzle flash and like even down to like they want to do a cool shot of like 
shell casings flying out of a machine mm-hmm. gun and all of those are cg yep. but you can tell like how bad the cg on those is because like when the muzzle does flash like you know all the bump mapping just kind of lights up in that way that yeah, you go like yeah <laughs> yeah 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 like rendering like a like a shiny metallic surface is like relatively easy nowadays but like it had like this low quality texture to it so yeah, yeah. it just looks grimy and bad it just looks like plastic it's like it looks yeah. like shitty plastic that got really really dirty and that's what bad cg looks like it's just everything's made out of plastic and rubber um and then it's like way too glossy on top of that mm-hmm. and so they're shooting these glossy monsters with their glossy bullets and in the glossy lighting i will say this is the sequence though if you listen to our podcast without watching these movies like youtubing this sequence is the thing to take away from this like not yeah. in a good way <laughs> not in a in i, mean, a, I was laughing my enjoy ass this off because it's good it's just a so bad it's good awful visual it is it is hilarious in its atrocities yeah and what's so funny, and I'm, you know, in some ways, I'm glad it didn't come back at any point in the movie, because of the way that like he reused all of the technical tricks in House of the Dead over and over again. Um, but it it's not like the style of the movie is this hyper stylized action scene kind of thing. It's just this one scene dropped in the middle with completely different lighting and completely different, like even while the lights are still out, they cut out of this weird action sequence. And you can tell how much more light there is in the room because while this sequence is playing, everything dimmed more, you know, in a post effect, it was brought down more. Uh, it's, it's something to see. It's, it, it's but the thing to see from this movie. This isn't even the end of the scene because yeah. this segment yeah. <laughs> stops and you're like, okay, they had like this kind of like pitch black shootout with monsters. All right, fine. And then, <laughs> They have a whole second part of this action scene where the Manchurian candidate zombie people mm-hmm. that were activated show up. Like one of them straight up like drives up in like a blacked out SUV and just like <laughs> screech to a halt. And then like a bunch of them pour out. And without even skipping a beat, Tara Reed sees these people, takes a knee and just fucking t- bullet to the dome, takes out like two of yeah. them. She's just like, I don't know who you are, but you got to fucking yeah. die now. <laughs> you would have an invitation. And it's so funny because they don't give her this normal civilian, you know, like research analyst who is headshotting people. And she's perfectly, you know, capable in a combat situation like this. Uh, I'd also like to point out when they like show her shooting in that like darkened scene and, and you know, it's just all muzzle flash no no acting whatsoever on her part she's just holding her arm stiff holding the gun out and the flash is just happening but there's no kickback no like recoil of her body of any kind like she is she is stoic and the gun is just flashing on its own um but uh after this sequence is over after they've murdered people uh she's talking to christian slater and he's like i can't believe i killed them and she's she's like well they had monsters in them it was self-defense you had to do it it's fine like she is not fucking around she does not feel anything about what she's done and he's like trying to have like a broody moment and she's like no no we're not it's it's nothing (laughs) Uh, fuck them kids (laughs) yeah 
Um, there is also in this sequence the uh, the kung fu fight that breaks out out of nowhere. So most of the zombies, most of the people with the the spinal creatures that have been activated, they have make up them to look like movie zombies. They are like yeah. pale and chunky and ugly, black and in their like, teeth. Yeah, and and I don't know why because the first guy we saw like that, the big bald guy, didn't have any of that, and he was clearly activated. So there's no reason for these people to be zombies. They just are. Um, but then in the middle of this, you know, it, it, so there's, there's, we're led to believe there's 20 of them, right? So assumingly 19 of them all get shot to death. And then out of nowhere, one of these military guys, I'm just going to have to call it cause the movie did. He's the only Asian military guy we see. Yeah. He doesn't have a gun on him and an Asian zombie comes up. I don't know of what, you know, nationality obviously, but, uh, and they, the, the zombie isn't like grappling snarling trying to fight him they break into a full-blown martial arts fight in the middle of this scene and it's so clear that uve bell was like well let's make the asian guys have a kung fu fight like it is so clearly like driven only by we need a martial arts fight in this yeah and not a you know this enhances this scene this matters to these characters or anything you know it, it's so out there and that we never see that guy again he has that fight, and that's it. We didn't see mm-hmm. him before. We don't see him after. He's only there for this sequence. And they don't make up the Asian actor zombie. Yes, he just comes you. in yeah. in plain clothes, has no makeup on, and is like way more because they make the other zombies like be like rah, rah, and they kill, yeah, like, can't like fully. Well, and also they can't like fully articulate their bodies. Like they've like, yeah. like, like semi mortis has come in. Yeah. Um, whereas this guy is just like full of like crane kicks and spinning around and <laughs> shit and. It's it's fucking bananas, man. It's so out of place. It's this movie is like sensual overload, where it's like if we throw enough stuff at the at the audience, they can never properly critique. Now it any sounded like you said thing. sensual overload there, so you might want to mm. retake. This movie okay, is yeah, sensual yeah, like, uh, overload. Okay, I let me, was let me, thrilled. Let me let me, <laughs> let me let me let me retake that. Let me retake that. All right, all right, all right. So this movie suffers from sexual overload, right? And <laughs> yeah. so. <laughs> is that better yes much better great job okay great thank you uh <laughs> um they get out of here uh christian slater uh oh uh, steven dorf wants to um arrest christian slater because he knows he's got a creature in him but christian slater <laughs> saves steven dorf so he says all right we're cool yeah i'll forgive that little creature inside you <laughs> yeah um, and then this is the most bizarre jump in the movie as we head into the final 45 fucking minutes of this film, they decide to team up, they get in a helicopter. There is clearly a voiceover done later in the studio, like supposed to be over radios. It's got a static effect on it, but you can see them in the helicopter as they're flying in and none of them are wearing headsets. So that doesn't you know apply. Um, but they're talking as they fly in and they're like, there's a mine outside of town that blah, 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 blah. Uh, the doctor who stole all the shit is there. And uh, we know that because a lot of people died there six years ago and he owned it or had some, his name was on the paperwork some way. Uh, so we're pretty sure he's there. It's such a wild, like long shot to send your entire military operation to this place because his name was on some paperwork. Um, but that's just the only setup we're given for why, 
this giant military organization has descended on this mine. Now, they know two things about these creatures. They know that light seems to fuck them up and and that this mine has no power. And and they they know their light bullets are, you know, part of that, the, the key to to defeating them. Um in we see a shot with like 30 military people and one flashlight. <laughs> they set up no floodlights. They don't bring any like high beam, high intensity spotlights or anything. Instead, with the power out in this mine, they send one guy up to fix the power and spend, I, I want to say, a good 15 minutes of screen time repeatedly checking in with him saying, where are those lights? We need those lights. What are you doing with the lights? Like, like the number of times they check in with this guy and harass him is so fucking obnoxious. And it, it's clearly meant to be played for laughs because when he finally gets the lights on, they're like, oh, finally. And he's like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> like He's like downtrodden. I worked really hard in these lights. But the lights come on. We spend all this time building up to the lights while they're like christian slater steven dorf a couple other military people and tara reed for no good reason go down into the mine in the darkness the lights come on the lights do not activate inside the mine they're only for the exterior of the mine and then about 30 seconds pass before up runs one of the zombies who detonate like self detonates a grenade and blows up the lights Right, and then Which, it's darkness again. <laughs> they, they they set up they painstakingly set up this guy because this is the same guy that did the autopsy yes. in the bureau and evil professor man who we need to give this guy a name. I know I know we're super late in the recording, but like yeah. I, we don't need to know his actual name. But like can we call I'll him like Oldman Professor Man Professor um, Oldman Professor Oldman's back again yeah. from that Sonic movie. Yeah. Um. Uh, he goes to this guy's house, kills his wife, and specifically infects him, makes him swallow one of those parasites that attaches to his his spine. Mm-hmm. All that just for this purpose of doing this bombing run, just like running up to yeah. a dude. Suicide ah! bomb. It's like, yeah. why? We didn't need all that. Like, like imagine the fucking... Imagine Lord of the Rings starting with like one of the Urukai like being dug out of the mud pit by Saruman and that specific orc you just follow as they like equip him with the with the armor and shit and they specifically give him the running torch that blows up the bomb that blows up the wall in Helm's Deep you just follow that guy's entire fucking arc like he just becomes like this heavily focused upon background character just this to get to that has conclusion. No focus. It doesn't know where it needs to be. Like, what's important? I guess anything. <laughs> you know, that's that's the whole movie's deal. Yeah. Um yeah. Professor Lionel Hudgens is the character's actual name. So but Professor name. Oldman works for us. Yeah. Cool. Um So Oldman summons all the Scorpion Dog monster zombies. Of the um, world, I guess. Because uh, now there's so many of them. Yeah. Who knows where they came from, honestly. And the military people know this is coming because they got scorpion dog monster whistles (laughs) scanners like they can just scan the stratosphere and see where the fucking monsters are 
Um, so they know he's going to come to this location, right? He's going to come. He's going to go back to where it all started. Yeah. And uh, so they f- heavily fortify the outside of this warehouse this this mine the top of this mine you shaft heavily right fortify <laughs> they bring a lot of military vehicles and some automated turrets but everything they bring to bear fucking sucks it is not the right tools for the job yeah they make a big deal about those automated turrets they have motion yes. sensing gatling guns that are autonomous and this one woman is testing it and she's just standing in front of it waving her hand back and forth and watching yeah. as the and gatling she's like, gun it works tracks yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. looks good to me yeah <laughs> they just slap at each other on their on their helmets like yeah 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 yeah, we, yeah we're, gonna, <laughs> we're gonna kick those watchers asses um so they're all prepared for a conflict. Uh, our our protagonists, our our triumvirate, is is down in the depths of the mines. Um, kamikaze suicide bomber zombie comes up. Um, mm-hmm. Most developed character of the entire movie blows up the the generator, uh, cuts out all the lights, so all the people outside are basically out there to fend for themselves. Um, and yeah, it's just like this real poorly paced, drawn out firefight between a bunch of trained military operatives and zombie dog, scorpion zombies. Yep. It, yep. it just, it goes on and on. It is, it is just, <laughs> it also doesn't feel that what makes it feel like it goes on and on so much is that it doesn't reach like a a dramatic point where you're like oh shit if we can't get this we're gonna lose or if we yeah you know if we can't fall back to somewhere safe we're gonna lose it's just like lots and lots of gun of gunfire on and on and on and on on until they finally say everyone's dead like there's literally a character who says everyone else is dead to a returning actor from house of the dead who has been throughout this movie in uh in a lot of scenes he was greg in that he's miles in this and uh, I, I really thought they were setting him up to be like he gets so much screen time that is clearly because he is in a second Uwe Boll project and probably they get along. Um, but I really thought they were setting him up to do something in the end. <laughs> and instead, they kill him basically off screen. Um, he it's him and one other guard on the outside left. Uh, he tells her to fall back and he's going to stay behind. One of the creatures comes up to him and he kills it like effortlessly and then i guess that's good enough for him he got one more kill he goes to follow her we get a slow long drawn out scene of him like walking up the same stairs she walked up no tension no building um he calls out her name a little bit gets to the top of the stairs finds her dead body another really good practical effect her fucking whole head is split open although i'm convinced and I want to go back just for this amount of time to see it. I'm convinced the dead body prosthetic looks nothing at all like the the girl who actually was in the role. Like I think they had it is actually. I think it is her. I think she is playing the corpse, but they have like painted over her head and then like added the prosthesis of the half of her head that split. Maybe, but and it I, feels like I, a different person to me. And I, I think that half of the head just like it just got pretty warped. Like they just like Which, ah, the mold. If didn't your head's work, ripped yeah. open, that would do. So yeah, yeah. Um, um, but it's it's good practical effect. Another one uh, that like you know it would have been nice to see her actually get munched on screen, but 
that mm-hmm. happens and then the guy is just like a little heartbroken and then we get what i think uve bowl was going for was like an alien shot where it rises up and its mouth is watering and it's right behind him and he turns and then it like cuts away and he's dead. Well, well, oh, oh, well. right. No, we do come back. That's right. We don't. I want to set this one up because yes, it's so weird how it comes back. Well, monster monster pops up behind him. He looks at it like he knows he's like not going to be able to face it point blank, even though he's got a gun. So he turns around and there's a second one. <laughs> yeah he's like oh and then they like kind of purposely obscure him getting mauled well like cuts Uh, to black and then cuts back in and he's like fountaining blood when it cuts back in yeah he's missing an arm and just kind of collapses off off of the camera they're like we can't do this transition on screen it's gonna look too bad but Uh we can make up him enough and and put a prosthesis on him that makes it look like he's been ripped in half and then cut back to that and the fountaining blood looks like water it's just like very thin red you know coloring but it's still but fun it's still cool they have just yeah a bunch of the kills are hilarious like there's one i really liked which i think it was from the uh christian slater's uh, apartment scene but like a guy one of the military guys is shooting and then a guy a monster runs behind him and like severs his spine and it like the first shot is like, oh, it like sliced him across the back. You just see like a kind mm-hmm. of a laceration and then it like cuts away and cuts back and like, no, like both segments of this guy's spinal <laughs> column are like just out of his body and he's yeah. just like, oh God, oh, and there's just meat <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, I like a good kill and I think, you know, this movie had a few decent ones. None of them are like top tier, but they're good. They're good um but down in the the lowest level of the uh the well of the movie i guess bef- yeah, of the movie how we get to the lowest level is one of the guards with christian slater and steven dorf and tara reed is checking the floor and he's like i think i found something and then no sooner does he get the word something out that the floor just like drops open a metal like panel and he falls like miles <laughs> and so far down um to this like you know like deepest core level he lands on some spikes and totally gets fucked up i I don't remember how the rest of the group gets down there but as they do another trap sets off and it like breaks someone's leg Mm. um we have the worst action sequence in the movie of a lot of bad action sequences which is there's like snake monsters they look like the spinal creatures but much bigger so i guess that's what happens if you let them develop outside of a human body um but uh those are like rushing through sand and everyone is just like we get this wide shot of a lot of adult people just pointing fake guns at the ground and going like shoot them shoot them and like pretending to shoot at the dirt playing whack-a-mole with these sand snakes it's so clearly like there was no lines given right no intentional shots in this it was just this one big wide shot and uve ball saying like improv like you're panicking you know and and they all did such a terrible job of it um but that happens for a while some of the people get bitten and poisoned to death um we move on and i'm gonna let if you wouldn't mind i'll let you take it from here because i really don't remember once they find the lab at the bottom of the mine what what happens there well there's like one major discovery which is they find this lab in the bowels of the mine the lab has been abandoned but still like 
you know, relatively, it's like a, it's a medical lab. Um, and they're just inspecting stuff. And there's like all of these, uh, kind of, <laughs> you know, like the folding tables that they have in bath in public bathrooms to change your baby's yeah. diapers. And they yeah. have like a bunch of those <laughs> for, <laughs> for like, just as like permanent, like metal beds, yeah. but they're like for the size of children and they all have nameplates on them for some reason. And which if um, you're running a secret cult, like science experiment, you probably don't want the nameplates of the children you've kidnapped anywhere right. that can be referenced, but that's okay. But one of them says, you know, uh, uh, what's what's not Christian Slayer, but the other male lead, what's his name? Stephen Dorff. Yeah, Stephen Dorff looks at one and he's like, oh, this one says Christian Slater. <laughs> yeah, and basically. <laughs> they realize that Christian Slater was one of the kids that was experimented on. Um, Which we've known from scene right. two, right? Like the transition yes. from the child's eye to Christian Slater waking up. We've known that from the beginning of the movie. Right. This but means- he doesn't know that because he... And it, this is excused in a single line that you could be forgiven if you missed, but he says, oh, I don't remember anything before I was 10 years old. Right. It, but it doesn't feel like anything for the audience to learn this because we've known it the entire time, even though the character is learning it. If we don't learn it at the same time he learns it, what is the fucking point, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the nameplate is kind of embossed with the Bureau 713 logo. Uh, which you likens oh. to like the the chunky Batman versus Superman like yes. emblem. Yes, um, I did not catch that that's the same logo, but yeah, it does look like they, the, they show it rotating in in like on screensavers and shit. So this the, was at one point one of the bureau's projects. Yes, so it's all interconnected. It's like all of this was caused by the bureau trying to do experiments. So Professor Oldman was hired by the bureau to conduct these experiments so it was all I sanctioned. totally missed that um and then who would show up but professor oldman professor himself old man with a fucking tactical assault rifle pointed at our trio of heroes being like give me the doodad i Two love of which the are like trained military professionals ready to die to save the world yeah. you would think they would just like kind of know to start shooting this guy and he can't kill both of us before we kill him and save the world. Right. Like wouldn't you think? Yeah, you'd think, but no, not, not in Uwe Boll's world. We yeah. all just live in it. And <laughs> so he demands the doodad. They, uh, relinquish it. Um, he takes it and built into the side of this fucking, medical surgical room is just like an ancient looking door with like grooves and runes and it's just built into the side of this room and there's a fixture big enough to fit the doodad in so obviously the doodad is the key to unlock this door i would say much bigger than the doodad actually (laughs) and and it like it's not even like it's obvious for the movie that's where it goes but it doesn't look like it like sockets in there in a mechanical way. It's more like it like is a Bluetooth like it's it's the NFC you know <laughs> amiibo reader for this door. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, put yeah. the right amiibo up to it, it'll open up for yeah. you. This thing's cool. It uh it summons ancient demons and also uh holds my Smash Brothers character. Yeah, it gives you three extra hearts in Zelda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, so he is still, you know, leveling his gun at them while he is like trying to attach this thing uh, to the door. Mm-hmm. And uh, hero action guy, I keep forgetting the actor's name. Steven Dorf. Steven Dorf, Mr. Dorf, uh, pulls out a knife out of his utility belt or whatever the fuck and throws it at yeah. Professor Oldman, striking him in the heart, to which this guy gives a great performance of a dying old man where he goes, and then like shoots off a couple of rounds of the gun as he collapses to the floor. And it's like, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that was, uh, that was that underwhelming. And we, I, I really thought in that moment, I was like, okay, he's coming back. He will be a monster before this is over. Why inject yourself with purple monster goo if you're mm-hmm. not going to come back from the dead? Yeah, that's an R.L. Stein book. <laughs> why inject yourself with purple monster goo if not to come back from the dead not one of his best works but it's fine <laughs> so they open the door or he's opened the door as his dying action and it opens to a big cg cavern now you say cavern like it's a terrestrial place in the earth but i'm still sticking to this is a portal to another world we're just not given the normal trappings of a portal no scintillating borders or anything like that yeah but this doorway opens to another world in my reckoning um i'm i'm not i'm not gonna die on this hill i yeah, think yeah, either yeah. either works it it could be that it is an isolated cave under the earth and this is the only way in or out but there's enough magic in this that i think it's another world um they see all of the monsters rushing at them, like millions of them. Like they're in the distance and they're coming out of this like uh, yeah. pillar and they're just running, you know, towards them. Um, never getting any closer though, because it is just a single screen that they're looking yeah. at. It's um, just that scene from Monty Python, the Holy Grail where it's John Cleese just <laughs> yeah. constantly running, but never getting any closer until he's right there. Yes. Um, but they they plant the bomb. They try to get out of there when they're safe distance. They try to activate the bomb, and they go, "Shit, we're too far away." I guess that's that. Um, and then Stephen Dor- uh, Stephen Dorf. I almost said Dorif, which is another actor. Uh, Stephen Dorf says, I- "I'm going back. You guys go on without me. I'll sacrifice myself." All of that serves only to prolong, I guess, and separate the the other characters. But he runs back down the hallway, getting another minute on the runtime for this movie. Um, opens this like slow moving mechanical door, giving another minute on this movie. Picks up the bomb, sets it for like three seconds, and then jumps on the floor as it goes off. And somehow, with a like duffel bag full of C four detonating ten feet away from him, lives as the portal is collapsed but not the rest of it doesn't like make the whole mind collapse they don't even show like a closing of that yeah yeah it's just the explosion the fireball and then him that's it it's very much just like ah you get like you know they say you get whatever you've seen movies yeah (laughs) so so the the portal uh is closed i guess uh steven dorf doesn't sacrifice himself even though he tried to and physics would demand that he at least collapsed a lung um and ruptured an eardrum or two uh, <laughs> right. we Internal don't see bleeding. him again though he's just underground alive meanwhile racing out down a tunnel is uh tara reed and christian slater who find a ladder go up it and <laughs> find themselves emerging at the orphanage that 
all of the kids were taken from and Christian Slater grew up at that we've been to twice in this movie, once in the flashback and once to check in on things as all the people started disappearing um, and find that the nun, that the orphanage is empty. There are no children around whatsoever. And the nun has slit her wrist and is bleeding out on the floor or has bled out. In fact, she's dead by the time they get to her. Um, which Christian Slater does not like, I don't know if he doesn't understand (laughs) that she was responsible for all of this shit. Um, because he's like still sad to have lost essentially a mother character to him, but she's a fucking monster who let children get experimented on and caused a massive calamitous event. And then the most confusing thing, (laughs) Uh they leave the orphanage. It's still just the two of them. They're walking around aimlessly in an empty city and a text scroll comes up that says evacuated city. By the way, not telling us the city name, just evacuated city. Yeah. So evacuation to me would imply a government alert went out and everyone was told to get the fuck out of town and they did, but there's like cars just parked everywhere in the middle of streets and things like that, abandoned and uh, still running and it, it feels much more like you called it like a rapture has happened and not an evacuation, even though the title said evacuated city. And then we get this bizarre uh, Christian Slater voiceover where he's talking about the Abkhani again. And he's like, the price they had to pay for closing the portal was that their entire culture disappeared. I guess we're paying that price now. So we're heavily influenced to believe that the entire city of vancouver la new york wherever this is supposed to be lost new york yeah yes (laughs) yes uh the entire city has been like roanoke colonied blinked out of existence that's interesting that you think it's only the city i thought it was the entire world i i I, you know it's so hard to say but like it was a native tribe and the abkhani tribe disappeared is the idea but obviously not the whole world disappeared once upon a time all the other native tribes are still alive so i would have to assume the logic here is that like only the people of this quote-unquote tribe or this city right this this particular piece of civilization (laughs) non-descript metropolitan area maybe it's the entire united states or canada if this was probably filmed in canada (laughs) um like who knows what the scale is it's very unclear for sure. But then to make matters worse, we get a like evil dead Sam Raimi shot of a monster's POV racing down the street and going like, <laughs> and like zooming in and Christian Slater and Tara Reed turn around in the last second. And then we cut to black and a heavy metal 2000 song starts playing over the credits. And that's this fucking movie. It ends in the most baffling like i i don't know i guess some shit happens everyone disappears and and then the monsters are still alive yeah. you did nothing Th- kind of thanks way. for your thanks for your money jackass yeah yeah it is I, I would be outraged if i paid money to see this in theaters i would have lost my goddamn mind i am so glad I waited from 2005 till now to see this movie only for this podcast. I thought I had seen it 
before we we got into it and then i realized i had no idea what the fuck this but was you would know you would remember y- you would know absolutely it was a disaster i is it the worst movie we have seen on this podcast and we it's... have to compare it to like the mortal Kombat boat movie <laughs> <laughs> I like how that's the way you choose to refer to that movie. That's the name of that movie. Yeah, yeah, um, the, the fucking Noah's Ark Mortal Kombat movie. <laughs> Noah's Ark Mortal Kombat. Uh, it like it might be worse than that because that is blessingly short and so sure. ridiculous that you get a lot of laughs out of it on the on that short trip. This had some laughs, some good gore, some you know some moments but it was we laughed so we cried long. we fell in love with oh with christian God, slater cried. <laughs> i'm crying right now yeah it was so long and drawn out and boring and so nonsensical i mean you you were confused and at, you know completely like appropriately so why the fuck were we at this mine for literally like the last 45 minutes of the movie because they only explained why they went there in one line and it wasn't a very good explanation. Like, I think this is the the lowest that we've done yet. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely down there, right? Like, and I do always think that immediately after seeing a really bad movie, that it's the worst (laughs) movie. I know that about myself. I've never seen anything worse than this. And I won't until next time we watch a movie. (laughs) But no, I truly believe I, I got to go through and rank these because oh yeah, this is this is in the bottom three hundred percent. Like no doubt about that. I think it's number one on the worst movies of this podcast list so far. I have to. I think I'm bringing up my letterbox like like I like I've done before just yeah. to see what are I your bottom I'm, movies. Okay, let's let's. Which I know we to- disagree on them anyway, but. I just want to hear what yours were to, again to compare. Um, I think I haven't put on like the last one or two. I don't think I, I haven't added uh, the 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 Tekken thing Tekken we watched movie, last episode. Yeah. Um, all right. My I mean, I bottom, think I said the Tekken movie was terrible, and it is miles <laughs> ahead of this. Yeah, so much. Yeah. yeah, totally in a different league. Absolutely, you're right. Do you want my bottom three? My bottom five? What do you want? Bottom bottom five. Go for five. Bottom five. All right. Bottom five. Five worst movies I have watched for this podcast. Number five, Shenmue the movie. Number four. (laughs) Yeah. Number four, the first Resident Evil movie. Now that I totally disagree with. That's an entertaining (laughs) movie for different reasons. I mean, it's entertaining. It's still pretty bad. Um, That's my scale is it doesn't have to be a quality movie. It has to entertain me. And that this did not mm, right. Like for most. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're working on different kind of scaling factors because I'm definitely someone's like, Hey, that was fun to watch with like a group or whatever. Yeah. Um, But I still like, that was a terribly told story. Like I do not find enjoyment. Yeah. You know, a quote-unquote objective enjoyment how i measure it out of that movie because it did all these terrible things but it was still a fun watch all right so that's number yeah. four fourth worst movie third worst movie resident evil apocalypse now i'll give you that can go low i don't know if it's down that low for me but it's low uh second worst movie we've seen that first tomb raider movie <laughs> interesting i would put that much higher 
Okay. Yeah. I, th- I was entertained at points by it. And then my f- worst movie we have seen so far before this one was House of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> See, even now, I feel like House of the Dead was a better movie than this. And I know at the time we saw House of the Dead, I said this is the worst movie we saw. I know <laughs> I said that. But we have sunk to a new low way below House of the Dead for me. It will be interesting to see at the end of all the Uwe Boll movies, like how Ranking what the those. spectrum is. Yeah. Yeah. Because like he's definitely on his own level, by mm-hmm. which I mean subterranean. <laughs> yeah. But I would put House of the Dead now in retrospect, just from the laughs of the 360 shots and the knowledge that like people's lives are at risk for those terrible <laughs> shots. I, I would put that above um the boat Mortal Kombat. Well, but then I like I said, uh, I, laugh I, I at have that. that one way higher. I've I'd actually go higher because it's just short. It's got it's got a value of like I could show this to somebody and we could laugh at it together. Yeah. Um, I have that ranked higher than the 95 Mortal Kombat movie. Is that the sequel Mortal Kombat movie or is that the... The first one. Okay. The sequel Mortal Kombat movie with like the bad CG bestiality <laughs> in the end. Animality. Um, that yeah, not one, bestia- there's no bestiality in that movie. There might as well be. Uh, <laughs> that one I would put in my like bottom of the list with the, the boat Mortal Kombat. And... I think I think that's probably like the number two worst is the Mortal Kombat is it Annihilation is that the name of the subtitle for it? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. That one, and then this below that, and House of the Dead would get even higher than those two. Like, so Uwe Boll, you did something right in your first movie, I guess. <laughs> I mean, there there will come a time where we really will have to sit down and think about yeah how we feel about the entire. Uh, uh, grand, uh, uh, uh congregation. Uvre? Yeah, the Uvre Bowl. Yeah, well, not even just Uve Bowl, but all of oh. these video game movies. Oh, like yeah, we're gonna yeah. have to figure out like what did what did we enjoy the most, and why did we what did we find out of that? Because yeah. you know, I still claim there there is no single good video game movie. I'm sticking to that. See, I I that can't claim. agree. I've had fun with enough of these mario mortal kombat those are my childhood ones but even some of these animated ones i've had enough fun with them that i i think there are some good ones they're not great movies they're not like super high quality but they're they're good in a certain kind of sense uh, in a in a fun sense that's just that's just something we're gonna have to suss out what does it mean Mm -hmm. for a movie to be good is it simply fun or does it have to be something more yeah i I think I think that has like a the barrier the minimum barrier is fun right I have to have enjoyed my time spent if I feel like what I have done for entertainment has wasted what little free time I have in my life then then it's a big problem and if I feel like it was time well spent or if I feel like I had fun then it was time well spent I guess I'll put it that way well that's uh that's alone in the dark. Yeah, I can't it, believe it, they it, made a second one of these. It, it, baffling. So wildly hard to understand how this could spawn a sequel. I'm terrified. I'm a little excited, <laughs> but it's going to be awful. I, I, I'm very curious. Um, Uwe Boll did the sequel. Do we know that? Um, I can look that up real quick. Okay. 
And then the other question is how how long do we have until we have to watch that one? Is it right away or is it like um so Uwe Boll did Uwe Boll did not direct uh the oh. the second one. It was a um uh two co-directors, Michael Roche and Peter Shear. Um and that movie came out in September of 2008. Okay. So and is it a years. direct continuity with this? I mean, it's <laughs> I mean, it's got a 2 in the title, so I would assume so. Yeah. Um, it is a sequel to Uwe Boll's 2005 film Alone in the Dark. Although right, well, it features an entirely new cast in a story yeah. that is unrelated to the original film. Yeah. Okay. Great. And doesn't probably pay any attention to the events that happened at, you know, where it left an entire city <laughs> or more. Uh, just, okay. So it's yeah, just its own it, movie. But, but the protagonist is still Edward uh, Carnby, who is christian slater's character in this movie yeah interesting so they just completely recast um interesting okay which is just the name of the character from the video game apparently so that's why yeah yeah okay well what's next for us well nick i know how much you like monsters right like monsters digital monsters this this episode alone has like indicated your love for the monster film right it's true it's true that that yes absolutely is correct actually <laughs> and we and we have watched a lot of monster movies before this mm-hmm. i know there was a time where we sat down and watched a lot of monster movies back to back and i told you when we did that oh, no. a time would a time would come where we oh, would have no. to go back and and get our digimon on again <gasps> there's another digimon <laughs> Oh, there's, I think, like two or three more Digimon movies that we got to watch. How did we not finish? Well, these aren't part of that chronology. These are these are completely unrelated. Oh, my God. Why would they do that? Why would they do that, Dylan? Why would they? To me, personally, why would they do that to me? Why would they attack me like this? I mean, who's to say? I guess the only way we're going to find out is watching uh, Digimon Trainers colon Runaway Locomon. All aboard. Boop, boop.